Hi, friends. I'm Mandy. And I'm Missy. And we're the Wayward Homesteaders. In this podcast, we will talk about homesteading and homeschooling. We will cover topics like food preservation, gardening, unschooling, and all the things we enjoy doing with our families. Grow with us as we talk about creating a homestead full of poop, plants, permaculture, and everything in between. Hi, friends. This is Mandy from Chapel Hill Forge. And this is Missy from Homesteading Roots. So today we're going to talk about bread and noodles. Um, so we're going to talk about homemade bread, homemade noodles. What are the differences between yeasts and no yeast and active yeast and instant yeast and all those things? Milling your own flour. Kind of a quick step-by-step guide on how to make some of this stuff. Um, and what equipment do you need? What applications can you use them for? So I think that making homemade bread is maybe not as foreign to some people, but definitely making noodles. I feel like people are like, oh, making my noodles, it's just easier to buy the box. So as far as what our family does, we, for the most part, we make our own bread. Bud is our bread maker. He has a pretty easy recipe he uses with the KitchenAid. He loves to knead bread. So he takes a little bit longer process just because he enjoys it. Um, he does the mixing in the KitchenAid and then he needs it on the island and it's kind of like therapeutic for him. So, you know, whenever he wants to make bread, I just like leave him to the kitchen. He gets the whole kitchen to himself, puts on a podcast or listens to music and he just gets to it and he loves that. I have personally not done homemade noodles, but Missy's family, they make homemade noodles all the time. So this episode is going to be a little bit more me interviewing Missy about bread and noodles because, like I said, we just use like one simple bread recipe. We don't have a a mill yet for grain. Um, It's on my list. It's just not something that we've gotten into yet. So we're going to start with like super basic info that I feel like everyone like everyone knows what yeast is and I feel like most people probably know what its purpose is. But, you know, when you go to the store, there's like active dry yeast and instant yeast and like there's all these different kinds of yeast and like which kind do I need and should I buy the packets or buy it in bulk or how do you store it? How long is it good for? So, Missy, let's dig into yeast first, the basics of bread and what you really need for any bread to rise, whether, you know, it's with sourdough and you're using the yeast in the air, or you buy it in a pack. So let's talk about yeast. Okay. So to start, there's two different types of bread. There's what you call quick breads and then there's yeast breads. So quick breads, they're made without yeast. Um, They rely on different leavening um, agents to rise like baking soda or baking powder. Um, They're much more faster to make. You don't have to let them rise. A lot of people make quick breads with like fruits, like you can make like an apple or apple cinnamon type of bread. Um, Yeast breads are the ones that take longer because you have to have the proofing proofing and um, rising time are basically the same it depends on who you talk to a lot of the older people will say proofing Um, nowadays it's more known as rising so you'll hear me kind of mention both of them but just know that proofing and rising is basically the same thing Um, so the different types of yeast I always wondered this what was the difference and was I buying the right kind every time I went to the store because I'd either see active dry yeast or instant yeast. And I finally sat down and did some research. Um, the most popular type of yeast is, is active dry yeast. What that is, is the yeast is live. It's not dormant and it's packaged. Um, and you have to rehydrate it by proofing it, which I'll explain in a second. Um, 
to make it do its thing. Like it, it creates carbon dioxide, which creates the air bubbles in bread, which makes it fluffier and lighter. And you'll, you know, you'll see the holes and stuff. Um, that's the most common one you'll see. You'll also see instant yeast. Now, instant yeast, it's, it's a form of dormant dry yeast, but it has a faster absorption rate. So it's going to pull in the liquids and stuff you use faster. Um, it, it doesn't need to be proofed or rehydrated. That one you just dump into your, um, your flour. Like they'll tell you to make like a well and put the yeast in there. Um, you can mix it just straight into the dry ingredients. Um, and, and sometimes you'll see, it'll say rapid rise or, you know, rapid instant yeast. Um, that's for, it, it has left, it has agents in it that will help it rise quicker. Um, a lot of people don't like to sit and wait for an hour or two for the bread to rise. So if you would get like the rapid instant yeast, that's what that is. Um, there's not, there's not a taste difference in them. It's basically your preference. Do you want to have to proof your yeast, which proofing your yeast is a whole nother step. So proofing your yeast is to figure out whether your yeast is alive or dead. I buy yeast in bulk through Azure and I just keep it in a ball jar in my refrigerator. If I buy a bunch um, and I'm, I know I'm not going to be baking, I'll put it in the freezer. It just keeps it longer, but you can store yeast in the fridge up to a year. So for me, when I get my yeast out of the fridge, you want to put it in like a little bowl of warm water and stir it around, put a little bit of sugar in, dissolve all of that. And you're going to want to watch for it to foam. If it starts foaming or makes bubbles, then you know your yeast is alive. If it's dead, get rid of it because it's not going to do anything for you. Um, so that's how you can proof your yeast. Most of the time when you buy a yeast in the little packets at the grocery store, as long as they're not expired, it's going to be alive. So that's really you know, not a worry. But if you buy it in bulk, like I do, and store it, then you're going to want to make sure it's live each time, or you're going to go through this process and have sloppy bread and, um, you know, be frustrated and waste all those ingredients. Um, Hold on, I want to make a quick note. Um, I know some people look at like the packs, I can't remember how much they weigh, but like the packs from Sam's Club, or maybe from Azure or Costco or wherever you go. Um, and they're like, I'm never going to get through that much yeast or whatever. But if you look at the price difference, like those big packs at Sam's, I'm thinking they're like maybe $4. They're yeah. not that expensive. But then if you buy like those silly little like perforated packs and you get like three little packets at the grocery store, um, they're about the same price and you're getting a way less amount. So I would say, you know, if you know me, you know, I'm a fan of buying in bulk, you know, buy a pack and like split it with your mom or split it with your neighbor or something, because it is like so much cheaper to buy yeast in bulk than to buy those silly little packets at the grocery store. Right. And I think in the freezer, they say it can last up to 10 years. So even if you're going to buy it in bulk and not use, I'm sure you'll use it within 10 years. Um, and if not, like Mandy said, you know, split it with somebody that that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I, I honestly have probably had yeast in my refrigerator for longer than a year and I just proof it before. And if it's still alive, then I use it and there's nothing, you know, I haven't had any issues with it as far as that's concerned. Um, we, we use the instant yeast just because that's what Azure had and, um, I like it because it's just one less step. I don't have to activate it each time. So that's what we use. And that's what I buy in bulk. Um, which one do you so do buy? You need to proof your instant yeast or it's always alive. Your instant yeast is always alive. You do oh, not okay. need to. Yeah. It does not need to be. Sometimes they'll call it rehydrated. 
It'll be proofed or rehydrated. Instant yeast does not need to be active. Dry yeast does. Okay, we must use we must use active dry yeast because Bud always proofs his yeast before he starts. Okay, then yeah, that's that's what you do. Yeah. How silly that my like twelve year old is running the show here with the bread situation. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's his thing. He loves it, and like. You know, when you were here and you had major, I know you're going to touch on this later, but the Elaine's crust list that you love, um, Bud was like so not about it because you don't need it. You just do it in the KitchenAid and let the KitchenAid do the work. And, you know, I had mentioned to Bud about like a bread machine because when I was a kid, my mom made bread a lot and she let the bread machine do the work and then baked it in the oven. And Bud was like, no, we're not getting a bread machine. Why would we do that? I want to knead the bread. I'm like, okay, Bud, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> That's funny because I hate kneading bread. And I'm like, oh, yes, this recipe I can put in my KitchenAid and the KitchenAid will do all the work. Are you kidding me? No, I hate He loves it. Bread. And you know, Bud, like Bud is all about textures and mm-hmm. like soft things and squishy things. And I think for him, it's just like getting to play with an enormous ball of soft Play-Doh for an hour. <laughs> totally. I'm sure it yeah. is. Um, yeah. So that's basically what I have as far as yeast goes. So, okay. So you have your yeast. Um, what are the other basics that you need? Like if we just, if somebody's listening to this and they just want to go make like a basic loaf of like white bread and we'll link the, probably the Elaine's crust list. That's a really easy, basic beginner one, right? Yeah. 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 So like if you were going to make Elaine's crust list, like what do you need to do that? Do we need to mill fresh flour? Can we just use bag flour? And what else do we need besides the flour and the yeast? Okay, so I guess since we're starting talking about milling the flour, um, I never knew anything about milling flour and what the point of it was. I just thought it was a step that, you know, if I didn't have a mill, I didn't have to do it. I'd just go buy flour at the store. But I'll kind of break it down and I'll start with like a wheat berry. So a wheat berry would make wheat flour. So the first part of the wheat berry is called the bran, like the outside part of it, which is it's basically what encases all of the the grain inside um the fiber and the nutrients are all in there the second part is the germ so this is where the oil stays and that's where the vitamins and proteins and minerals are all in that oil the very inner part is called the endosperm Um, it's a large part of the berry where most of the starch is held so the flour that you buy at the grocery store is mainly that the inside part the endosperm it's basically all starch. So two beneficial things about milling your own flour is you're going to get the germ, which carries all of the proteins and the vitamins that the wheat berry has. Um, And what else did I say? Oh, the, um, good grief. I just totally love the endosperm. The endosperm is the starchy part. Um, The, the, oh, the outer casing, like that's what, what holds in that has fiber and nutrients in it. So the the best parts of the berry are the outside and the second layer. The inner part is just basically starch. And when you buy flour at the grocery store, that's what you're getting. You're getting the inner part, which is basically starch. So when you buy wheat berries and you bring them home and you mill them, you're getting the, the bran, you're getting the germ, you're getting all of that milled into your flour so essentially it's making it more nutrient dense you're getting more of the protein out of it um they don't put the bran in it because the bran is what holds the oils so if they put that in the flour and then put it on the shelf it'll go rancid because it's not shelf stable so that's why that is so a lot of times you'll see 
like on your um, bag of flour, it'll say like um, amended or enriched or, you know, it's because they're putting enrichment back into the flour that was taken out in the milling process. So basically buying your own grains, you know, you're getting the benefits of more nutrients and protein and it's actually cheaper to buy grain, to buy grain. Like I said, I buy in bulk and I usually get mine from Azure. Um, but I'll buy like rye berries, wheat berries, um, and then I'll just mill them here at home. And the berries are shelf stable for way longer than flour is. So once you mill flour, it starts losing its nutrients and its benefits, which is fine. It'll still fill bellies and make everyone happy. But in the long run, you're not getting all the nutrients if you would mill the flour yourself. So really quick, if you are not using Azure Standard or you don't know about it, I'll link that in the notes if you're near lancaster county in pennsylvania where i am um like so nickel mines is a health food store that's in georgetown they carry wheat berries of all kinds i know i think i have maybe whoa winter white or something like that um that i have here because you know of course i have big lofty goals that i'm actually going to go mill it um this (laughs) is a big goal for me i just haven't crossed this bridge yet and part of the reason that the next thing i want to talk about that I haven't crossed this bridge yet is a a nice mill is almost $500. So I know there's like two out there. There's Nutri-Mill and Mock something, right? Uh, Mock Mill. Yeah. So I don't, which one do you have? I have the Nutri-Mill. Okay. So I know that I've watched Lisa from Farmhouse on Boone. She has some pretty extensive videos, like kind of reviewing both of them. I think she has each one and her mill actually stays on her counter. She's a big sourdough person. So she mills her flour like often. So if somebody, you know, doesn't have $500, but is interested in maybe going and getting some wheat berries and trying this or whatever, do we have other options on how to mill the grain besides like can you use a coffee, like a $50 coffee grinder, or do we have some other options? So I did look into this before I purchased the mill. Cause like you said, it was a, you know, a big undertaking financially. Um, and people were saying that, yes, you can use like a little coffee or like bean grinder. You're not going to get as flaky of a powder because I guess with the mills, it's stone ground. So the stone, I guess, makes it, you know, flakier. So you're going to get more of like a dense spread which a lot of people don't like. So that's why a lot of people were avoiding that and just buying the mills. Um, there is an attachment that you can get for your KitchenAid. I, I'm not sure if, I think I have that. Yes, I have that. And that's what we started with and thought, you know, it was good. But the couple times I made bread from it, I'm like, this is not what I'm wanting. Like, this is more of like, to me, it was more of like a quick bread. It was like really dense and, It wasn't fluffy sandwich bread. I couldn't convince my kids to eat it with a sandwich. They were like, what is this foreign stuff? I, you know, get it out of here. Um, So that's why then I was like, okay, I'm just going to buy the Nutramil and, you know, see how that goes. And it's been great. Like we run it through twice, like with our rye grain, when I do, when I attempt sourdough. (laughs) That's Um, for another episode. Oh, good grief. Um, we run it through and that breaks it down some, and then we run it through again so that it just finally gets it like fluffy and whatever. Um, whereas my attachment for my KitchenAid, it didn't matter how low you went, it still was kind of gritty. And that's why I was getting the dense 
And it's pretty. I mean, I know that everybody's always like, you know, I only have so much counter space and you kind of have to make decisions about what's actually going to be on the counter. But the Nutramil is very pretty. It's like wooden looking. Um, We can, I think we have a reel of it on your your homesteading roots facebook page and your instagram um but it is really pretty i mean if you are not crazy about like a cluttery counter which i totally understand um if you were looking to seriously get into this it's not like an ugly appliance to leave on your counter no and it's not a lot of parts and it's easy to clean like the top that you put the grain in comes right off and i can wipe that clean i can you know put it under the water rinse all of that um, and then like the shoot where the stuff comes out, I just turn it on its side and kind of knock it up and it, you know, kicks all the whatever's in there. You can wipe it off. It's not like, doesn't stay dirty and gross and accumulate, you know, flour. And I like that aspect of it because I just like it to be clean. Um, so it's definitely, definitely handy where that comes in. You don't have to spend a lot of time cleaning and cleaning parts and drying parts and making sure everything's dry for the next time you go to do it and so I, I really like it we just this week we made applesauce which if you've watched our youtube channel you know that we use the victoria strainer for that and we drag that thing out every time we make applesauce because it is the it, it makes the easiest quickest applesauce but i like two or three times didn't dry the metal part completely and now the paint's coming off and i'm like okay do we get this thing powder coated because it was zad's mom's so it's from like the late 90s the receipt from good store down the road is like still in it so i'm like do i pay to get this stupid thing powder coated do i just buy another one you know if you know us like we buy a lot of stuff at the thrift store rarely do we buy things new unless you know we can't find it used size so yeah anything that doesn't have extra parts i'm here for that right yeah okay so besides then so you've milled your flour or and we should be clear like you can absolutely just buy already like milled flour um You know, and to another point, because I feel like this podcast is about homesteading and people are concerned about, I don't want to say stockpiling because I feel like that gives bad vibes, but like, okay, can I go buy a 50 pound bag of flour and store it? Absolutely. You can. But you know, if you don't use that flour for a couple years, um, you know, it just might not have as much nutrients. Is it going to fill bellies? If we were in an extreme situation, like Missy said, if we were in an extreme situation and you just needed to fill bellies, is it going to do that? 100%. The caloric value is not going to change. It's just you might not have as many nutrients from it as if it were freshly milled or maybe you just bought the bag at the store a month ago or whatever. So I just want to be clear, like, don't feel like you have to go buy a $500 mill or, you know, go buy the KitchenAid attachment because I think the KitchenAid attachments may be, it's typical, like what, $50 to $100 or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is a lot cheaper Um, I've seriously considered trying a coffee grinder because my coffee grinder, I'm like a coffee snot. So I grind my coffee every morning fresh. Um, you know, mine goes from like super fine to like coarse. So I was thinking, "Mm, maybe I'll like get a second one and try it with that. So we'll keep you posted about how the coffee grinder goes. Um, okay. So you have your flour, you have your yeast. What else do you need to make? Like, let's say we're following Elaine's crustless, which if you've not had anything like that before, it's just like a, a white sandwich bread. I mean, essentially, or it could be any, any, I'm guessing you could use wheat or whatever. Um, if your family is used to like a store bought bread, I would say this is probably the closest to that that you're going to get in homemade. Yeah. Cause this doesn't have a thick crust on it. And my kids are, you know, anti-crust. 
So <laughs> this works good for that because it doesn't give a thick, hard crust. And that's what I like. Plus, it makes two loaves out of one, you know, recipe. So I like that, too. Yeah. So what else do we need besides the flour and the yeast? Okay, so you'll need milk and butter. And what I do when I start the process is I start and I put my milk and my butter in my little saucepan. And I only turn it on to about two or three on my stove. And that's just enough to warm up the milk and get the butter melted into it. And then the warmth of the milk and the butter is what's going to activate your yeast. So I let that go until the butter's melted. I stir that around and then I turn my burner off. And then I prepare like my flour and I get my yeast, um, sugar you'll need, which I think hers calls for like two tablespoons or something. So it's not going to make, I'm one who does not like things sweet that aren't supposed to be sweet. Like I hate sweet meat. (laughs) So when I see sugar and things, I'm like, oh, come on. Is this going to be sweet? Like I can't do the Hawaiian rolls. Come on. You're missing out on an entirely beautifully delicious piece of life. No, no, I'm not. Give me the yes. salty bread. Oh, man. Put some pineapple on my ham and give me a little Hawaiian oh. roll. I'm here for it. Nope, I'm out. I'm going next door. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I see sugar and stuff, I'm like, oh, good grief. So I was a little hesitant. I was like, oh, maybe I'll put two teaspoons instead of, t- instead of two tablespoons. But I was like, you know what? No, it's the first time doing this. I'm just going to follow the recipe. And it was fine. It wasn't sweet, any of that. So the sugar is what helps also activate the yeast and helps the yeast to grow. Um, so then you'll put a pinch of salt in that kind of just goes against the sugar to not, you know, be sweet bread. Um, and then that's it. Like that's the ingredients. Some people, instead of doing milk and butter to melt, they'll do whey or they'll use buttermilk. I have not done any of that yet. I've just do the milk and butter. I, I don't really have a reason to have whey sitting around. Um, using whey is a great idea though. Yeah. That yeah. A lot a of people, I think, um, Kate from venison for dinner, I think she uses whey or buttermilk. I think that's what, but she, and she's the one that you found this recipe from, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you listened to our podcast last week, we talked about our favorite YouTubers and we talked about venison for dinner. So when I link that, um, recipe, it'll take you to her website and she's a great one to follow. Um, she yeah. makes a lot of her stuff homemade and they have a cow or at least one cow. So they always have way. So if you're in that boat, if you have um, milking animals of some sort um, and you have way for making cheese or whatever, for the most part, anywhere that you have water, whey can be substituted. Right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the what? Five ingredients? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Well, with the yeast, it'd be six. Yeah. Six. Yeah. So really not super complicated so how long do you feel like it takes you to make the crustless bread from like start to finish um okay so this one it has two separate rise periods so it probably total you mean like baking and everything i guess yeah so like i feel like when you look at a recipe it's like active time and like right actually you know so like from start to finish how long does it take and then how much time do you feel like you're actually working on something Okay, so start to finish, it's about two and a half to three hours, depending on how warm your house is and how fast your bread rises. Um, About two and a half to three hours, you're only working probably 30 minutes of that. Uh, So like once you mix your all your ingredients together, I do it in my KitchenAid with the the dough hook, let that go, you're gonna put it into a bowl, like I grease my bowl with some oil, I just flop the 
the dough in there. I put a damp um, towel over top of it and I set it in my oven with just the light on and I'll let it go in there for like an hour. As long as it like doubles in size, you know, it's fine. When I pull it out, then I just kind of pop some of the air bubbles. I just push down with my, I don't punch it. Like I'm not boxing it or anything. I just kind of like push my knuckles into it. And I found that doing it that way has also helped to make it fluffier in the end. Um, And then Bud's a puncher. I'll have to let him know about that tip. Yeah, because it like does something with the gluten. Like when you're rough, you want to always be like gentle with your dough. When you're rough with your dough, it makes a more dense noodle or whatever because it's you're doing something with the gluten in there. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So you never so, want to punch it. So you said like you put yours in your stove. So you can also, I've seen people put it in their dehydrators. So like put yes. your dehydrator on super low and you can do that. Or, I mean, I know I've seen people put it in at like 80 or 85, which I assuming, not that you want to rush this process, but it would accelerate it slightly. Um, when Bud does it, he, especially in the winter, he'll, Zad put a rack above our stove. Our, we have a coal slo- stove slash wood stove. Um, and Bud will put it above that and it rises in no time when he puts it above the stove. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, I think cut, cut. if you're looking for, to speed up the process, I would recommend getting like the rapid yeast versus putting it somewhere that's really warm and wanting it to expand that way. Yeah. Um, it just does something with the texture. I, I don't know if it's the gluten or the proteins or what it is in it, but um, the rapid yeast will help with that. If you're like looking to kind of time crunch. So um, talked about this a little bit in our freezing podcast when we did our first series we talked about food preservation and we talked about freezing and i'll link that um talk a little bit about you know because i'm sure everybody's gonna listen to this especially if they're not actively making bread you know as part of their routine and think you know i don't have time to make bread it's just easier to buy at the store blah 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 um there's a lot of crap in the bread at the store i mean there are some good brands like there's dave's killer bread which we've bought on occasion um, there's a few others and Dave's killer bread. Like we've used Ezekiel bread and you keep that frozen and it just never has a good texture in our opinion. The Dave's killer bread is like, it's simple ingredients. You can read them all, but it's like almost $6 a loaf. Yeah. And I'm guessing that you can probably make a loaf of bread for under a dollar. So, um, you know, depending on what ingredients you use and where you buy them and whatever. So talk a little bit about how I know sometimes you'll like make a loaf and then you'll make a couple extra doughs and pop them in the freezer. So talk a little bit about that and how that can save time. Yeah. So like I said, this recipe that we'll link below makes two loaves, like two, what are they? Eight inch loaf pans. Um, So if you don't want to have that much bread sitting around, uh, you can make, you can cook the one. Uh, What I do is I'll put a little bit of like oil or something on my saran wrap. And then I just form it into like the shape of a dough that's going to go into my, my bread pan. And I wrap it up and I freeze it just like that. Um, I'll pull it out. The thing that stinks about this is you have to pull it out probably 10 to 12 hours before you want to cook it. So if I know what I'm going to have for dinner that night, you know, in the morning when I get up, I just pull it out and I sit it like on a cookie sheet or whatever beside the stove and just let it go. What it'll do is it'll first thaw and then it'll start to rise and you want to make sure that it rises at least double. So however long that takes with, I guess, however warm your house is, um, you know, that that's a long process, but but that is an option. And sometimes I'll do like, I'll double my recipe and make four loaves and I'll freeze three of them 
and use one for dinner or sandwiches or whatever. And then the next time I only have to pull it out of the freezer in the morning and it does like it's falling and rising. And then I just put it in the bread pan and I bake it. So that's, I haven't had any issues or any texture. I would rather do it that way than bake both loaves and then freeze the loaves. Yeah. I, I don't like bread out of the freezer. I just, I don't know. It just tastes, it's stale. Like the texture of it is weird. So I've found that it's easier and actually I save more money by doing it that way. Like just bake one of the loaves and put the other one in the freezer for the next time we need it. Um, And nobody's complained and I'm probably the pickiest one of our family and I love it. So I think it's great. Well, and I think too, just as a side note, like if say you do this and you make two loaves, you're like, my family's just not going to get through this or whatever. As long as it's not moldy, if it's just getting to the point where it's getting kind of hard or crusty, you know, don't waste that stuff like those. You can chop it up and make croutons. Um, Obviously, if you have chickens, like you can feed it to your chickens. But if you're not molding yet, you know, certainly chop that up and you can make your own breadcrumbs. There's just so many ways that you can use that stuff up. Like I know sometimes we've made a loaf of bread and winds up being a super busy week and like you know maybe we sat it on the shelf instead of right in front of our faces on the counter and we forgot about it you know and we'll just crush it up in breadcrumbs or do whatever so there's a lot for that kind of stuff yeah um okay so that pretty much covers bread um i feel like hopefully everyone has a pretty good understanding about how to make the bread especially you know once i link the recipe So let's talk about noodles. So a lot of the same principles, I think, apply to making noodles. So talk about, like, why did you guys start making noodles and how did you even learn how to make noodles? Okay, so we started making noodles just because I thought it would be a fun homesteady thing to do. And I watched um, Ruth Ann Zimmerman. She's on Instagram. I'm not sure if she has any other social media, but I know she's on Instagram and you can go on, we can link her in the bottom. Um, I watched her making noodles and I was like, oh my gosh, this looks so satisfying. So I bought like little noodle drying rack and we bought the attachments that go on the kitchen aid to make all the different kinds of noodles. And the nice thing about noodles is it's basically one recipe for all noodles. Like you're going to see when you go to the store, there's like egg noodles and, um, you know, spaghetti noodles. It's all this basic same recipe and ingredients. It's just how it's cut is what gives it its name. Um, so I watched Ruth Ann's process and I was sold. I was like, yep, this, I need this to be a true homesteader. I need to make my own noodles. And mm-hmm. Mandy makes fun of me all the time. She's like, you're the noodlingest lady. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so Okay. Do you want me to go through the process? Yeah, sure. So step-by-step, how do we do noodles? What, what do we need to do noodles? Do you have a favorite recipe for noodles? You know, that kind of thing. So I basically used Ruth Ann's recipe and it's just a simple recipe. There's what, four things? Cause you don't need yeast. You're not, you know, your noodles, you're not rising noodles or proofing or any of that. So it's, um, butter, eggs, flour, salt, cause you don't need sugar because you're not you know, activating the yeast. So it's four ingredients. I put them together. I put them in my KitchenAid. I mix it all up until, you know, it's not sticky. It forms a ball. Then I take it out and I cut it into little sections. And we have the attachment on the KitchenAid that like flattens the noodles. So like, you'll just take the bread and you stick it in. We started at like seven and it runs it down through and then we'll like click it down to four and then run it down through again. And what that's doing is flattening and thinning um, the dough to make into noodles. And then I think our last stage is two. We put it in at two and then run it through. And then it makes like a sheet, like a long sheet. 
and we'll lay all of our sheets out. And then this is the fun part. So then we'll get the ironing board and I lay a, like a, just an old kitchen towel, like a clean kitchen towel on the top of the ironing board and you set your iron to low. And then you'll let, take one of your sheets of dough, lay it on and then iron it just like you would a shirt and then flip it over and do the same on the other side. You don't want to burn it. You don't want to cook it. But what you're doing is you're accelerating the drying time. So if you were to just like flatten your dough, run it through the flattener, you know, run it through the cutter and then hang it on the rack, you're looking at probably a week to a week and a half dry time. Wow. Yeah. Um, so by using the iron, you are pretty much taking away about a week's worth of dry time. And it's not like you're not running it. I'm going to do a video here soon and um, show you. You're not like trying to get a like massive wrinkle out or something you're just running it over very lightly you'll feel it too it, it kind of changes the texture of it and it'll feel drier and you're drying basically the outside part of it now I know Ruthann they have heated floors in their house so she uses a like a clothes drying rack and then she'll hang her noodles on the bottom rack of that and then the heat from their heated floor helps to dry it too um but she'll, she usually does her noodles like three or four days before she's going to use them. Um, I think she has a good video like around Thanksgiving time where she like made her, made a bunch of noodles and um, she's interesting to follow. She's, I think she's ex Amish or Mennonite maybe. I don't know, but um, she has some really good tips. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, you run the iron over just to dry the outside. Then we run it through our cutter, which is another you don't have to have the KitchenAid attachment. We just do because we have a KitchenAid. But there's ones like hand crank ones you can get that just sit on your table and you crank it through and it cuts the noodles for however. Like we have one that makes spirals. We have one that makes elbows. We have one that does like raviolis. Um, I don't know. Like any kind of noodle. There, there's an attachment for it. Um, and then we'll run it through that. And then we hang it on our noodle drying rack. And like you can put a fan on it. Some people do. I haven't and hadn't had any issues. You just want to make sure they're spaced apart enough that the air can get in there and dry. And within like four days, they're completely dry and you can store them. And we put them in plastic bag with a little tie on the top, put it in the um, pantry. And it's usually good for, they say about three months that way. We haven't long-term stored noodles yet. Um, I'd have to dig into that a little more to see if there's another process. You just have to make sure like all of the moisture is out. Some people will even dehydrate them, put them in their dehydrator and dehydrate them, dry them that way. So I don't know if that would be a possibility. I wonder if you could freeze dry them. I'm just thinking we're going to have to test them in the freeze dryer and see what happens. Yeah. Cause if you can do that, then heck yeah, I'd make big batches all the time. It's so much fun. And it's so, to me, it's just so satisfying. Like you're just taking these four simple ingredients and like, Noodles are a huge staple in our family. Like I can't buy ramen noodles because my kids would live on them mm -hmm. if I bought them. So like noodles are just a big staple. I mean, it's just, we're a starchy family. So um, do you have to have like the hand cranker or the KitchenAid or could you simply use like a rolling pin? Um, you could totally use a rolling pin. <clears throat> I guess it just makes it easier for like when you're, when you are like cranking it through it's you're sure that it's all the same thickness mm -hmm. um, which would be an issue in the drying process if you have parts that are thicker than other parts I mean, they would just need to dry longer and you'd be able to tell like checking it on your rack if it's completely dry or or not but no you wouldn't have to have any of the attachments even like the cutters you can just 
cut it, you know, with a knife down, make little, if you want to make like long noodles, just make, you know, cuts. So you could use a pizza cutter, I would assume probably. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yep. So when you don't iron them, you're saying it takes like a week and a half. If you do iron them, it's like a few days. Yes. Yep. Gotcha. I had no idea it was that long of a, so like you can't just decide at like noon that you're making noodles for dinner. (laughs) Well, you can. If you're going to make them and use them right away, yes, you most certainly can. Oh, okay, because they then, would be like fresh noodles. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, you would just skip the whole drying process. You're just making fresh noodles and boiling them, and yep, you have noodles for dinner. Which is crazy because I've never bought these, but I've seen fresh noodles um, like at the grocery store. Yeah. It's crazy expensive. Oh, right. The convenience is what you're paying for. Yeah, we'll have to dig into this like, well, you will because I haven't made noodles, but. Um, see if you can freeze dry them and, um, you know, that kind of thing and see how long they would store. Because I mean, I feel like you buy pasta at the grocery. Now this is commercial versus home. And I, I get that, but you know, pasta you buy at the grocery store lasts for years. Right. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. That is so fascinating. So do you, um, do you typically, sorry, if you already said this, do you typically mill the flour when you make noodles too? So I haven't milled flour to do noodles yet. Um, I've only done it with bread. Uh, I don't know. I don't think Ruthann really even talks about if she fresh mills. Um, Yeah, that's something I haven't I haven't dove into yet. But maybe I will for this next time when I do a video. And you're using like all purpose flour or wheat or rye. What are you using for noodles? Um, For noodles, we just use all purpose flour. Just all purpose. Okay. I wonder, can you do like rye or? I don't see why you couldn't. We made noodles out of um, the split peas we had. Oh. Like an ex- excess of. Now, they didn't clump together. It was kind of, I don't know. I would never do it again. But it was just we had an excess and we had the mill and we're like, hey, let's try this. Um, it didn't hold together. Now, I don't know. I know you can add seasonings and herbs and that kind of stuff when you're doing your dough. But I'm not sure if flour, you know, if flour matters. Yeah. Um, This is really interesting. So since that's heart attack, we've switched to, I I wouldn't say we never eat flour noodles, but very, very rarely. I mean, honestly, since the heart attack, I don't know that we have unless we were at someone else's house, Um, which we don't go anywhere. So I doubt (laughs) Um, we I pretty much buy quinoa pasta. Which, you know, if you have ever gone down the road of trying to find, like, a different pasta that has more protein. um, Because, you know, quinoa has uh, protein, black bean pasta, things like that. It is really, once you get off of the white pasta trail, it is hard to find noodles that when you boil them, they either, like, don't fall apart or they take forever to cook because they're super hard. Or they stick together. Like, rice pasta is very sticky. um, And it does not. It's not my favorite. We love quinoa pasta. It boils super well. It does take a little bit longer, but um, not like an exorbitant amount of time. And it doesn't honestly, if I, I think I fed it to you guys while you were here um, and nobody said anything. Like I, nobody thought it was weird or tasted weird or whatever. So I would be curious to see if I could make quinoa pasta because I'm all about like throwing the protein in when we can um, or even black bean. It'd be really interesting to figure that out. Yeah, that would be. Um, okay, so do you do, you mentioned ramen. So I just want to touch on this because I know some people, like, especially if they're coming 
newly coming into like a whole foods journey like maybe they were eating ramen or like I know Mason is obsessed with ramen and then Jared and whatever so have you attempted ramen noodles I mean I feel like they would be very delicate yeah I have not now I've bought a brand that it's in like the Asian section at the store and it's like it says ramen noodles or whatever on it and I was like, oh, I'll trick them. And I think you had sent me some broth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sad guy, because he bought like a six pack. <laughs> yeah. So I bought those noodles and I was like, oh, it even says ramen on it. This is going to be just like it. Nope. The kids did not fall for it. Um, so I have not attempted them, I think, because they're just such a, I don't know, a thorn in my side. <laughs> yeah. That I, I'm like, I'm not even going to do it because it's going to be a waste of my time, waste of resources, and the kids aren't even going to eat it. So I have not attempted that. Um, and the, uh, you said you have like different cuts or whatever. So you, you, I'm pretty sure you guys have done like raviolis like that fascinates me. I would love to make, cause I feel like you could make a really protein packed ravioli. Like if you could figure out quinoa pasta and then you could stuff that with some like really good homemade cheese. Oh my oh. God. Oh That's- yeah. That and pierogies. Mm. Yeah, pierogies. We've done pierogies, and everyone loves those. They're so much better um, oh, fresh. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. So much better fresh. And then we just even do it, like, in those, we would just do, like, a garlic mashed potato cheese mixture. Um, oh, they're so good. So, yeah, yeah the ravioli, we do the pierogies. Um, I have this machine, which you're all going to laugh at me because I don't know what the name of it is right now. And oh, gosh. You're like Rose Red Homestead's daughter. You cracked me up. So it's, and I, I don't know, is it Greek? I, I'm not, it starts with an S, but I don't, I don't even know how to say it really. Spatzel or something. Oh, like S-P-A with an umlaut. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So you put like the clump of dough on the top and then you like run it across and it just makes like, almost looks like maggots kind of. <laughs> and <laughs> drops down into your broth and like they boil in broth. I have that and I have yet to try it. Um, I think that would be fun to do that with some different herbs and spices in. Yeah. Um, my kids probably wouldn't be a fan, but oh uh, well. <laughs> I was um, just thinking like you make some, you could make some really pretty pasta. Like if it had basil in it or parsley oh, yeah. or whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, okay, so yeah, that's all I I think that I had in my notes about talking about bread and noodles. Um, any other quick tips? Like, so I guess really the moral of the story is here, like you don't have to have special equipment to make this stuff, but if you want to really dig into it and you decide it's something your family really enjoys, there is really handy equipment out there that will save you time. Yeah. Um, I guess the only other thing I didn't bring up is when you're working with fresh milled flour, um, you're going to use less flour than what they call for. I usually do like three tablespoons per cup less because it absorbs more liquid than store-bought flour. So don't get frustrated, you know, if you're using fresh milled flour and then your bread seems a little dense, it's because it's absorbed that liquid. So I use like three tablespoons less per cup, if that makes sense. And I can explain that more if someone needs needs me really? to. But... Like you would do like 13, so 16 tablespoons in a cup. You would do 13 tablespoons yes. per cup. That yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah, you just kind of back your flour off a little bit. And, and it'll give you, you know, fluffier bread. Yeah, so slight trial and error. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. This was really fun because... 
I have never made noodles and I learned a ton in this. This is a funny thing about Missy and I's relationship. We love a lot of the same things, but we always joke because like where I fall short, Missy picks up the slack and where she <laughs> falls short, I pick up the slack. And so anyway, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you learned something. I feel like this was very dense with really good information. Um, I'll probably do a blog on this one because I think there's just a lot of good info here. I know Missy's planning on doing a YouTube video on noodles, mostly because I asked her to so that I can learn how the heck to make noodles. Um, <laughs> If you could figure out quinoa noodles for me and make a video on that, that would be appreciated. Uh, or black bean. I'm down for any 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 protein-filled pasta I'm here for. Um, so I hope that you learned a lot, and we will see you guys next week. Bye, friends.